This episode of The Lutheran Cartographer is sponsored by Ad Crucem. Get wonderful gifts, Christmas ornaments, art, and cards at adcrucem.com or go to lutherancartographer.com slash 2020gifts to be taken to their site. The Lutheran Cartographer, episode 44. Welcome to the Lutheran Cartographer, the podcast where we explore what it's like to be Lutheran in different places. I'm your host, Nicholas Weber. Today we are going to Cleveland, Ohio to talk to Theo Kavoris. He is the cantor of Christ Lutheran Church there in Cleveland. Theo, welcome to the show. Thanks. Good to be here. So tell us, most people know where Cleveland is, but I personally have a problem of getting Cleveland and Columbus mixed up. Where exactly are we in Ohio? Sure. Uh, Cleveland is uh, is northeast in Ohio. Uh, we're right on Lake Erie. Okay. Uh, one of the three big cities. Uh, Cleveland, Columbus is in the middle, and Cincinnati's in the southwest. Okay, good deal. So tell us a little bit about yourself, where you've lived, and how you came to Cleveland. Sure. Uh, for most of my life that I can remember, I've lived in the Cleveland area. Uh, when I was, I think, about three years old, my dad, who's a pastor, uh, took a call to a dual parish in rural Wisconsin. Uh, so I only have very faint memories of that, but uh, living in the in the dairy state farmland. Um, but no, mostly it's been in Cleveland and the suburbs of Cleveland I've lived here. Okay, good deal. So do you remember any of your time of Wisconsin? Is there anything that you'd care to tell our listeners about the how you'd compare and contrast where you've been to Cleveland? Yeah, I mean, definitely I remember that uh, it's a striking difference, the rural Wisconsin, you know, dairy farms versus uh, versus Cleveland versus Metropolis. Um, you know, again, I was young, but I do remember just – wide open spaces, which of course at age three or four are even wider opener, if you will. Absolutely. <laughs> um, and I still to this day, if we go anywhere near a farm and there's a barn with horses or cows and I smell it, it just takes me right back there. It's a really cool sensation. And I've been back there as an adult and uh, it's still very rural. Excellent. So tell us a little bit more about Cleveland, what would you say are some of the best things about that area? It's a city that's come a long way, <clears throat> excuse me, in the last uh, probably 10 or 15 years. Um, I've spent time as an Uber driver, so I really got to know some of the spots around Cleveland, you know, that the the young, typically young crowd that takes Uber um, frequents. And uh, it's come a long way. For instance, one of the great places around here is a neighborhood called Tremont. And 15 years ago, it was a place you wouldn't walk through in the middle of the day with a policeman next to you. And now you can be there at 3 a.m. with your kids and you don't have to worry about a thing. It's fabulous nightlife, restaurants, and it's great. All right. What are some of the other good things about Cleveland that you'd say that you'd use to sell somebody who might be thinking about moving there? Oh, yeah. Uh, well, I mean, of course, we have the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame. Um, that's here in Cleveland, and uh, that's that's a big attraction. I've taken more people there than I can count back when I was driving Uber. Um, the uh, Great Lake Science Center, which is right next to it, is a fabulous place to take your kids uh, or just to go an adult. It's fascinating, uh, the things that they have there. Um, it's a lot like the Cozy Museum in Columbus, if, if uh, any of you are familiar with that. 
uh, give a little context. I'm not familiar with the Cozy Museum. Oh, well, right. I guess not everybody would be. <laughs> um, the one re the one attraction that I recall most vividly from Cozy, I went there when I was a kid. They have one of those uh, balls with the electricity inside of it, and you put your hand on it, and your hair stands up. Nice. So just a lot of fun activities like that, and they have those at the Great Lakes Science Center as well. Other than that, I mean, our sports, you know, I'm, I'm an Indians fan. Um, we've been lucky to have relevant baseball for the last couple of years, uh, but that's always fun. And, uh, of course, we've got some fantastic restaurants here, too. Wonderful. We'll talk more about specific ones in a bit. What would you say are some of the most challenging things about being in Cleveland? Um, well, I like to say traffic, but I've been to New York and Chicago, so that's not really valid. Um, but, I mean, rush hour can be a bit of a pain in the butt sometimes. Um, other than that, in the, middle, in, in the dead of winter... Uh, it gets pretty bad. Maybe uh, sometimes we can get some snowstorms, especially there's an area of Cleveland called the Snow Belt uh, that gets, you know, like 16 inches at a time and just gets blanketed. But other than that, not a lot to complain about. All right. So what would you say the the culture is like in terms of the religious landscape? What's it like being Lutheran there? Yeah, there are a fair number of Lutheran churches um, in Cuyahoga County, which is where Cleveland is located. There are probably 25 or LCMS churches, if not more, um, a number of ELCA churches. Uh, and, you know, so being a Lutheran is not, it's not difficult. We're lucky. You don't have to drive very far to find a Lutheran parish. Uh, some of them are, I guess, what you might term less confessional than others. Um, but uh, I don't think any of them are off the rails necessarily. You know, so you're lucky anywhere in the county you live, you're probably within 15 or 20 minutes of a Lutheran church. There's a heavy uh, Catholic population in the area, especially in Cleveland. You know, a lot of Irish Catholics, which have been around for generations. So tell us a little bit more about the the general culture. Let's say that you talk to the average person on the street. One of the things that we've been no noticing in many of our conversation is how many of the really urban areas are becoming in increasingly secularized. Is it like that in, in Cleveland, or is it more of a kind of typical Midwestern people-go-to-church kind of atmosphere? I mean, from my point of view, yeah, there's definitely a lot of secularization in the city. Um, I know that Cleveland is considered part of the Midwest, and we do get some of that, you know, um, the, all those jokes about the Midwest, <laughs> you know, the, oh, excuse me, you know, but uh, I, I, uh, I think it is increasingly secularized, unfortunately. Um, not, uh, not anything like, uh, you know, a place like San Francisco, say, or New York City. Um, but uh, it's it's certainly not a wholesome Midwest city in that respect, in my opinion. I see. What do you think about Ohio being considered part of the Midwest? Is it? Do you think that's a fair description? I mean, the Midwest, as many people think of it, is a huge, wide span. Do you think it's more East, Midwest? How would you characterize it in general? Yeah, I feel like Ohio is kind of just out there. I mean, once you start getting into Pennsylvania, you're, you're almost on the East coast, you know, but I, I don't particularly feel like Ohio is really Midwest. Maybe that's just me. I know a lot of people call it the Midwest. 
you know, but if you go down to any of the smaller cities, any of the farming towns, I mean, you'll see a lot of that stuff that you would think of as the Midwest. And there are some great small towns in Ohio. Uh, but I, I don't know. I guess I wouldn't characterize it as the Midwest. And, you know, I stand against convention there maybe, but so be it. Fair enough. So now let's go ahead and talk a little bit more about what it's like to raise a family in Cleveland. Sure. I met my wife. Uh, let's see. She's right here. I better answer this quickly. Uh, I met my wife uh, about uh, 20 years ago. Yeah, just just shy of 20 years ago. Um and uh, we've lived in the Cleveland area ever since and have had a great time. Um, we homeschooled the children for a while, um, which was relatively easy, painless, not a lot of uh, hoops to jump through, as it were. And, you know, there's a lot of great, as I said, a lot of great fun family activities, uh, many of them relatively inexpensive, which is good when you have five children. <laughs> Say a little bit more about that. What, what kind of activities does the area offer for kids? Yeah. Um, Cedar Point, which is about an hour and a half from Cleveland, is, I think, a fairly well-known uh, amusement park. Um, it's definitely known within the surrounding states. Um, so that is, that's great. And it's not the only one we have. Uh, well, we had a SeaWorld here for a long time. They closed down, unfortunately. Um, so those are a couple things. And then uh, I think I mentioned the Science Center. Uh, but beyond that, I mean, just parks bands they have you know get-togethers all over town all summer long you just take the kids and sit down on a blanket and just have a great time good deal what would you say to somebody that has maybe a larger family four or five or larger than that what should they know if they're thinking about moving to cleveland um, my understanding is that the cost of living here is pretty low, which is a good thing. Again, I can't speak to that personally because I haven't lived as an adult outside of Cleveland. Um, but uh, that's always a plus. And using the stereotype that larger families often, in my experience, like to homeschool, uh, I definitely like Ohio for that because all you have to do is fill out a form and basically you're notifying them. You're not asking permission, you know, so it's really easy. And um, if you live in the suburbs, it's it's easy enough to get around, even with a large family. Okay, good deal. So now let's transition and talk a little bit more about some of the things that you would recommend. If you have a friend coming into town, what would you say, oh, these are some of the restaurants, a few museums, activities. What would you say, ah, you got to go see this? Oh, yeah. Uh, I'm glad you mentioned museums. <clears throat> the uh, Cleveland Museum of Art uh, is free. And it's I I've been there I don't know four or five times and every time I spend five or six hours there it's just full of amazing things um, a lot of excellent uh, Reformation era, era art as well uh, there's a painting by Louis Cranach the Elder there of Martin Luther um, among other things uh, the Cleveland Orchestra is world-renowned, uh, an excellent place to go listen to classical music. Uh, Trinity Lutheran Church, which is on the near west side in Cleveland, has uh, an organ called the Beckerath Organ, which is one of the best in the country, recognized as one of the best in the country, if you like classical music. Excuse me. And... Uh, restaurants. Uh, well, if you like pizza, there's a place called Edison Pizza in Tremont uh, that just, it's amazing. 
<laughs> you got to try it. That's all I can say. And then we we also have quite a few uh, microbreweries in the area, the biggest being Great Lakes Brewery. Uh, if you need a good Lutheran beverage, you can go there and get one. Excellent. So say a little bit more about the art museum. You mentioned that they have Cronach. What other pieces do you think? Ah, these are really cool. Yeah, I wish I could remember all of them. Um, I, I just, every time I go, I'm just, it's like being transported into another world, especially the, you know, the uh, uh, Renaissance era and the the religious art, just statuary. The one piece, I don't remember who made it, but, uh, and I can't remember the name of it, but it's the one where Mary is holding uh, Jesus in her arms after he's come down from the cross, after he's died. Nice. Uh, it's just, it's really, really, it just transports you to another place. And do you, the Becker organ that you talked about, is that, uh, is Becker the builder or is that just the name of the instrument? Uh, it's Becker F, I think is the name of it. Okay. Um, Becker F organ. And I'm not sure if that's the builder. I would assume it is. Um, but I know that it's like, uh, it's, it's a tracker organ for, you know, for those listeners who know what that is. Um, it's tracker action and it's got just gigantic pipes. You can go online and look at it. Uh, and if you're ever in Cleveland, every Wednesday they do music at the market where they do a free concert on the organ and you just have to hear it. That's all I can say. I can't describe it. Well, let's go ahead and tell our listeners about what tracker action is as opposed to, uh, what is, what would the other options be? Pneumatic, why don't we tell them sure. just a little bit about that? Maybe not a deep yeah. dive, but just enough to <laughs> okay. let them know, like, hey, this is this is why a tracker organ is cool. Right. Um, uh, well, when uh, t- today's organs uh, that are pipe organs, you push down a key and it trips an electronic relay and that relay opens a motor, pulls a motor back. The motor pulls a stop back that is covering the pipe. There's always air blowing up through the pipes, but there are stops at the bottom of them so that they don't sound. When you press the key, that pulls back that stop and it makes them sound. Uh, Tracker action actually has a wire hooked up from the key to every single stop and pipe um, so that when you press it down, you're physically pulling the stop back. One advantage of that is if you can control the uh, pressure that you put on it, you can control how loud the sound is. Uh, that takes a lot of skill, <laughs> something even beyond my talents for sure. I've been playing organ for 25 years. Um, but, uh, that's, that's what a tracker organ is. All right. Great. Let's take a moment for a word from our sponsor. Folks, Christmas will be here before we know it. And I'm very excited to tell you about this episode's sponsor, Ad Crusum, who will help you get ready for Christmas. They're a site that sells wonderful, robustly Lutheran gifts, art, Christmas ornaments, and cards. So if you're preparing to send off a salvo of Christmas cards, check out Ad Crucem. You won't find the smarmy, saccharine, overly sweet cards. You'll just find wonderfully and richly biblical cards with beautiful art. They just sent me some of their latest cards, and they are fantastic. They also sent some of their new pewter ornaments, and these things are wonderful. They have a nice heft to them. 
They're well-made, good quality, and they will make wonderful gifts or to hang on your own Christmas tree. So check it out at adcrucem.com. That's A-D-C-R-U-C-E-M.com. Or go to lutheran slash 2020 gifts to be taken right to their website. Check it out, Ad Crucem. Let's get back to our guest. So now let's transition and talk a little bit more about your your vocation. You're the cantor at Christ Lutheran. What would you say are some of the things that our listeners should know in, in terms of how they can support their cantor and why the role of the cantor is important in the church? Yeah, um... The music and the Lutheran Church and the divine service and music in the Lutheran Church are uh, virtually inseparable. Of course, uh, divine service consists of the word and sacraments, and you can't have them without music, and obviously they're perfectly valid. you know. But without music, church is just, I mean, I don't even know what to call it. Um, I believe Martin Luther said that uh, music is, I can't remember the quote, there's a good Luther quote on it. Go look it up. <laughs> you know how to Google, guys. <laughs> um, but uh, as a cantor, um, what I do is I chant the uh, intro responsibly with the congregation. I chant the gradual in between the two readings and then the Alleluia verse before the gospel. And, you know, it's proclaiming the word of God. Uh, it's important to do. And the fact that it's chanted elevates it. Chanting is not singing. It's elevated speech. Um, and any uh, anything you can add to the service that uh, involves all five senses in the Lutheran tradition is a good thing because the divine service is incarnational. It's not in your head. It's not about what you think. It's not about where you are. Well, it is about where you are. It's incarnational. It's the smells, the sights, the tastes, the words, everything. It's an integrated experience. It's not yeah. merely in one's head. Right. Okay. Not notional. All right. So now let's go to that second part of the question. What What would you say are some things that listeners, if if they're Lutheran church members, how can they support their, their cantor and their musicians at their church? Uh, I mean, the the obvious thing is pay them. <laughs> Unfortunately, I know a lot of churches are not in a position um, to pay appropriately, and it is what it is. Uh, but uh, there are also a lot of churches that take advantage of the fact—I shouldn't say a lot. There are some churches that take advantage of the fact that they have volunteer musicians and they pay them, you know, not great wages. Um, other than that, just just even talking to them, you know— Hey, thank you. I appreciate what you're doing. I get that every Sunday, mostly for my organ playing. And every time I hear it, I love it. It just, it makes me glad to go there and to do that. Uh, that's actually probably the biggest thing is just saying, hey, thank you. I appreciate it. I see. Do you also direct choirs? Uh, I do not currently. I used to be a choir director at Bethlehem Lutheran Church in Parma. I was the music director, choir director, and organist. Uh, but currently, actually, my mom directs the choir. All I do is a company. All right. Good deal. So now let's talk a little bit more about something that's unique to this time. And I hope by the time our listeners hear hear this, that wherever they are, it will go away. But probably hasn't at this time. And that is the, the response to the coronavirus. What has 
Ohio done and Cleveland in particular. Some states are very draconian in their approach. I haven't heard much about Ohio. I haven't been following Ohio closely. What What is it like there? Uh, I, I got to tell you, it's it's pretty bad. Uh, Governor DeWine, frankly, in my opinion, is is just a tyrant at this point. Um, the even the data on the state's website has showed that despite testing going up, deaths and cases are going down, and he just continues to impose more orders. And uh, I think, quite frankly, he just doesn't want to say out loud that he's wrong. <laughs> Either that, or like the little sinner in all of us, you know, he's enjoying being the tyrant. And uh, let's not forget that we can all take pleasure in that. So he's certainly not alone there. Um, the uh, as far as orders, there are you know there's a mandatory mask order everywhere, um, unless you're outside or social distancing. Uh, bars have to close at 10 o'clock because the coronavirus comes out at 10:01. Um, <laughs> other than that, just the typical stuff. You know, most of it is honestly enforced by the businesses. They put signs up and don't let people in without masks. I see. How has it affected your church? Uh, we closed right at the beginning when there was the shutdown order back in March. We were unfortunately closed for two weeks. Um, and then we reopened initially uh, holding three services uh, with quote-unquote reservations, uh, limiting to 10 people. Uh, and we quickly started to see that uh, not only was this overblown, but the church is not, the, the church doesn't respond to the world like that. Uh, and so by, uh, I think, the third Sunday of Easter, we were open with no restrictions. Uh, people are and still or were and still are welcome to wear a mask if they choose to do so. Nobody's going to, you know, pick on them for that, but it's not required. Uh, unfortunately, the only remaining uh, thing is that we're still using intinction uh, instead of the common cup, which personally I miss. But I can understand that some people are reticent to do so. I see. Okay. What are some of the things that we haven't talked about about Cleveland that you'd really like to make sure that we tell the listeners before we, we move on to closing questions? Sure. Um, make sure you visit Lakeview Cemetery. Uh, President Garfield and his wife are buried there. Uh, and it was back in the 19th century it opened. Uh, and there are a lot of the, uh, you know, quote unquote, rich fat cats from the, uh, the steel area, steel era, Rockefellers and such that are buried there. It's also just absolutely gorgeous. There are a number of great statues of angels there. Um, a really big chapel. I, I highly recommend it. Good deal. All right. So now as we start to close out the podcast, I want to make sure to give you the opportunity to tell our listeners about the things that you'd like to. Where would you like to point our listeners? Your church's website? I believe you have a blog that you have people contributing to. What would you like to tell our listeners about? Yeah, um, definitely check out our website. The sermons are all posted there. Um, and you can uh, contact the pastor if you know if you uh, uh, who, who can't use more sermons in their life. You can be added onto the email list. It's ChristLutheranCleveland.org. Um, yeah, as far as my blog, uh, I have a website called The Snarky Lutheran. Uh, we maintain a blog as well as uh, smell, sell some uh, snarky products. Such a, my, my favorite one so far is uh, your face reminds me of God's grace, resistible. <laughs> uh, 
but mostly it's a blog where we have guest authors. And if any of your listeners are interested in writing, please uh, use the contact form. I'm always looking for guest authors. As long as you can write from a theologically sound perspective, whatever subject you want, we'd love to hear about. Good deal. What, tell us a little bit more about the Snarky Lutheran. What is your, you mentioned as long as it's theologically sound, you'll publish it. What are What is your general approach or what sort of topics do you like to, to see written about? Uh, really anything that strikes the writer's interest. Um, we've had everything from, you know, straight satire pieces. One was titled Nadia Bowles Weber wins the heretic triple crown. Uh, <laughs> from there to, you know, uh, we have an, uh, an Anglican Catholic monk, if you can believe that, who wrote a piece uh, talking about uh, why abortion is the travesty that it is, uh, you know, and everything in between. Uh, anything that catches your interest, um, you know, we've even had a blog about, uh, about, uh, magic mushrooms, believe it or not. <laughs> All right. Really anything. Going and the by the way, the, 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 one of the goals of the website is that every sale, a portion of it is donated to the seminary guild, which supports, uh, students at the Fort Wayne seminary. That's fantastic. Theo, thank you so much for your time today. What are your parting thoughts for our listeners? Be strong and courageous. I think that's very important to remember. And uh, just whenever I get down, especially with this current situation, uh, just repeating the Kyrie to oneself is unbelievably powerful. Lord, have mercy. Christ, have mercy. Lord, have mercy. Amen. Thank you again. God's peace. Thank you. You too. Thanks for listening to The Lutheran Cartographer. For more about the things that we talked about today, check out the show notes page at lutherancartographer.com slash 44. I encourage you to check out the sponsor of today's episode, Ad Crucem. I'm really excited to have them as a sponsor. You can find wonderful gifts, Christmas ornaments, posters, cards, all sorts of wonderful things over at adcrucem.com, A-D-C-R-U-C-E-M.com, or go to lutherancartographer.com slash 2020gifts to go ahead and be directed to their website. Make sure you don't miss an episode of The Lutheran Cartographer by subscribing on iTunes or on Stitcher. While you're there, I would appreciate it if you would leave a rating and a review so that more people will see and hear these episodes. I'm Nicholas Weber. Thanks for listening. I'll talk to you soon.